Hello, and welcome back to The Debrief, circa 2024. Due to Dartmouth's unusual quarter system, we at the podcast had to take a term break. But we are back and ready to be in your ears weekly, so let's not waste a second. Today, we have producer Taylor Haber talking to former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Editor's note, this episode was recorded over a month ago. Governor Chris Christie, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. You're speaking today to an audience of Hanover community members, many of whom I suspect will be college-age voters. What's your message to young voters, especially those in a swing state like New Hampshire, who may not realize the importance of their civic engagement? Look, I think that if you look at the, the conditions in the world right now, um, how dangerous the world has become even more dangerous in the last two, three weeks, um, you need to be reminded that America is the indispensable nation. And the only way we can be credible as a, a leader of the free world is to be conducting ourselves in a way domestically where you know we have everybody participating as many as we can and voices be heard. And so that whoever wins this election will be someone empowered, hopefully with a majority vote by the American people. And I think that would be really important uh, message to send to the rest of the world. So, you know, New Hampshire has a unique role to play in this in the first nation primary. And so um, I think all of them need to understand starting, you know, as soon as you're eligible to vote, how important it is to be involved and to take that vote really seriously. More so than almost any other GOP candidate in the race, your path to the nomination runs through New Hampshire. Your campaign has little presence in Iowa right now, the first GOP nominating contest. Recent polling averages here have you in about fourth place. What would a successful performance in New Hampshire look like for you? Is it is it winning outright, or is it a strong second or third place showing? I, look, I, I want to do as well as I possibly can here. Sure. I don't think I have to win, um, but I think I have to do well. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to um, these last 80 days as a time to get people really focused. And we've been anywhere between second and fourth place here throughout. Um, we expect to continue to be tracking in that range. And, and hopefully with the input of uh, the most open, transparent primary process in the country here in New Hampshire, that will see a really good result. What are your thoughts about New Hampshire's high percentage of independent voters who can vote in either major party primary? Are you trying to appeal to them in particular? Not in particular, but I'm trying to appeal to everybody who can vote sure. in the primary, right? So, you know, my view on it is that uh, a vote for the independent is just as valid and important as a vote for a Republican. And, and the reason I think that is because that's what the law in New Hampshire says. And so I'm looking forward to appealing to all of them. And I think that given the lack of President Biden on the ballot and the Democratic side and the disrespect he's showing for the New Hampshire primary, I think you'll see a large, large number of those independents voting in our primary and I hope to attract a bunch of them. Sure. You've explained that back in 2016, you and several other GOP presidential candidates not named Donald Trump were competing to be the, quote, establishment Republican in that the thinking was once you had secured that role, you would move to face Trump more directly. You're clearly taking a new, more direct approach this time around. Yeah. How do you think that's been working so far? Look, every approach you take has both its advantages and its disadvantages. The advantage is that nobody... <clears throat> has any confusion in their mind this time whether I'm running against Donald Trump or not. So that's a positive. 
negative is he's been the nominee the last two times. And so there are going to be some people who support him who are offended by you attacking him. And you're going to see some ramifications for that in terms of unfavorability ratings, et cetera. But you can't worry about that because I ran this race the last time trying not to offend and thinking, as you laid out pretty well in your question, that it would be like the NCAA tournament. You know, we'd survive our bracket in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time we advanced down in that bracket, that he had won the nomination. I'm not going to let that happen again. Do you suspect Trump will be on the debate stage next week in Miami? No, he won't. Okay. He won't. He won't be there. He doesn't want to be there. He's afraid to be there. Um, he's He's a coward, and he won't be there. You've said that if he doesn't show up, you're going to take a new approach in which you potentially follow him around the country until there comes a time when you two can talk and potentially debate more directly. What would be your goal with those conversations? Uh, to embarrass him into getting on the debate stage. Hmm. You know, I wouldn't expect there to be any kind of full-blown debate for two reasons. One, because he wouldn't do it in that context. And, and two, he doesn't know enough to have a full-fledged debate, and that's why he's not on the stage. We were going to confront him at his uh, filing here in New Hampshire, except his campaign and the Secret Service closed their closed the State House building at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah. And the only people allowed in were people cleared by the Trump campaign, which I was confident I would not be. Um, yeah, so, um, look, he's tried to avoid it, and if I were him, uh, with his record and the things that he's been saying, and his four criminal indictments and his civil trial for fraud going on right now, I'd probably want to avoid a confrontation, too. You think there's, uh, potentially, his lawyers are pleading with him not to get on I'm sure they're pleading with him not to do that, but I'm also pretty confident after watching him over the years that he hasn't spent a lot of time listening to his lawyers because if he did, he wouldn't be indicted in four different places right now. In light of these four indictments, do you think he would potentially brush those concerns aside and join the debate stage if he was so inclined? Well, he's certainly going out there and making public speeches that um, go far afield um, and have gotten him fined by a couple of judges now for violation of gag orders. So I like he's following the uh, the the, ru- the rules of the road all that closely. Sure. Let's say you find a, an opportunity to talk to former President Trump or directly, barring any complications with the Sea Prince Service. What would you ask him about first? <laughs> Hard to say which I, what I would ask him about first. I, I guess the first thing I'd say was, "Why aren't you showing up in the debates?" Yeah. Um, and and then if which I'm sure he would blow off an answer to that. And I'd say to him, why'd you lie to the people in New Hampshire and tell them Mexico was going to pay for the wall? And now he's saying that you were you had to be dumb to believe he was going to pay for it. Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Or even though, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in New Hampshire heard that dozens and dozens of times from him. Um, I'd ask him which case he's going to, going to be found guilty in first, see how he answered that one, um, and ask him how he's going to like jail. Would you ask him all, at all about, in public, the way in which you contracted COVID. Oh, he knows he gave me COVID and, and his... It might be interesting to hear what he has to say. Oh, he just denied it. Look, the, the, the flip side of it is, remember, uh, at the time, um, he told reporters on Air Force One that I gave him COVID, hmm. even though I'm the one who came up with symptoms last, so it didn't quite make medical sense, but that wasn't going to make a lot of sense for you. It wouldn't make much difference to Donald. Hmm. Well, President Trump is currently leading the field by a wide margin some fear that lower polling candidates in the race may repeat the events of the 2016 Republican primary in which Trump won pluralities with his base while the rest of the electorate split. 
how do you intend to prevent that aspect of 2016 from repeating itself? Well, look, first off, he's not as popular in 2024 as he was in 2016. But secondly, remember, at this stage, in early November of 2015, we had 15 candidates. Um, as a practical matter now, we may have as few as five. But he is still leading by most polling measures by around 30 points, which would seem like a fairly light margin. Well, it, it doesn't seem like a fairly large margin. It yeah. is. Um, and But look, I don't think people have focused on exactly how they're going to vote yet. And, and if we believed in polls, he wouldn't be president. He wouldn't have ever been president. Because I was on the, the exit polling calls that night um, in 2016, and they said Hillary Clinton was going to get 360 electoral votes and the Democrats were going to take both houses of Congress. And that was on the exit polls after people had voted and they were wrong. So I don't think people have a lot of interest in telling pollsters the truth these days. Hmm. Um, and I think lots of Republicans are very concerned about saying they're not for Donald Trump out loud. It's not politically correct to do so among the other Republican Party. So I don't know what the polls really mean. I think they're more about trend than they are about actual numbers. You know, and we'll see we'll see what happens though in January. It's interesting you say that because a lot of pollsters' reasoning for why Trump won in twenty sixteen was that people were fearful of representing their support. You think the inverse is now true? Yeah, I think it's different this time. I think that time it was very much uh, politically incorrect to be able to say you were against Hillary Clinton um, in the general election. Um, I think this time. It's politically incorrect inside the Republican Party to say you're against Trump. Barring any sort of financial complications with your campaign, is there any reason you would see personal or otherwise wanting to drop out before the New Hampshire primary, which some see as a benchmark for your campaign? No. No. Definitive. Okay. Yep. Um, at the first GOP debate in August, you were one of two candidates who refused to support Trump if he becomes the nominee eventually. Would you support a candidate who themselves has indicated they would support Trump? Uh, that would be different. I mean, look, I think that um, it, the, the real issue here is the other candidates who said they would support Trump, even if he was a convicted felon. Um, I think we should have a much higher bar than that for President of the United States. And so, um, look, each of them is playing their own game with that. Um, and, and you can see even now they're starting to back off it a little bit, but you've seen comments from Governor DeSantis and Governor Haley that seem to indicate something different, um, maybe a nuanced kind of difference. But in the end, what voters need to understand is that um, I would not support a convicted felon for president, and they would. Okay. Is there perhaps some reasoning? You know what, I'll, I'll, move, I'll move on. Um, this past Saturday, former Vice President Mike Pence announced that he was dropping out of the race. You've spoken with the former vice president about his decision? Well, I was with him on Saturday about 10 minutes before he uh, he withdrew, and he's a good poker player because he didn't tell me he did not. Um, but we have texted with each other a couple of times since then. He and Karen went on a well-deserved vacation, uh, which is where they are now, and uh, he and I plan to talk next week. Have, have you or are you planning to ask for his Oh, of course I will. Um, and I'm sure everybody else will too. Um, and he'll make that decision on his own timetable. But you know, Mike and I have been friends for 12 years. I campaigned for him the first time in 2011 when he was running for governor of Indiana. Uh, and so we know each other for a long time. And, I'm, you know, uh, I'd, I'd be happy to have his endorsement because I think um, he represents some of what is the best about our party. Back in September, you ruled out a bid for New Jersey's 
likely Senate seat was going to be vacated or not by Senator Bob Menendez. Per the New Jersey state constitution, you could run for governor, though, I could. so it shows. Are you considering that instead or no? No, I think this is the only job I'm looking to run for. And uh, yeah, you know, I've already had two terms as governor of New Jersey, and I think um, I don't think you should do more than that. Um, I, I think that eight years of anybody as governor is kind of more than enough. And I think if you go um, for a nine through 12 year stint, yeah. I think you're doing that more for yourself and your own ego than you're doing it for the people of your state. Um, but, you know, uh, I hope that we nominate someone who can bring the governorship back to the Republicans in New Jersey, but that won't be me. Do you think there should be term limits on governorship? Yeah, I think it's a good idea to only be able to be there for eight years. I think if you can't accomplish what you want to accomplish in eight years, you're probably not going to get it done in 12. So um, I think it's a good thing. I think there should be term limits for everybody. I don't think anybody's indispensable in government. Um, I think you should have a period of time when you serve and a period of time then when you go back home. And uh, I think it should be on the congressional side 12 years, be six terms in the House and two terms in the Senate. I don't think there's any problem um, with trying to get something done in that period of time. And most of the folks who stay on longer, it seems to me, uh, become further and further out of touch with the people they're representing. Is that is that at all a, a swipe at career politicians like uh, Senator Menendez, who have served in Congress for quite a few decades at this point? It's not even a like a swipe. It's a direct charge at him and all of them. We've stayed that long. Um, I just think that it... The government was never intended to be a permanent, permanent governing class. It was meant to be citizen politicians who came and served for a period of time. And I think 12 years is certainly enough time in one. You know, you could do 24, you could do 12 in the House, 12 in the Senate, if you can work it out. But I don't think it should be any longer than that. McKay Coppin's book, Romney, A Reckoning, was released last week and includes passages about a number of political camps candidates and office holders, including yourself, after you endorsed former President Trump back in 2016, Romney said he emailed you and wrote the following statement, I believe your endorsement of him, Trump, severely diminishes you morally. You must withdraw that support to preserve your integrity and character. What do you remember about the reaction and your response to Senator Romney's email? Well, I remember writing back to him and saying, well, maybe if you had gotten involved in the race and endorsed somebody during the primary, maybe Trump wouldn't be the nominee, but you were too much of a coward to do it. I mean, so like, you know, he decided not to do it. Now he wants to be critical of me after the voters have already pretty much determined Trump's going to be the nominee, that I'm going to try to prevent Hillary Clinton from becoming president. You know, that was your mentality at the time. Totally. Trump was the best alternative. To not only the best alternative, but he was the alternative. This was, I endorsed him after South Carolina. So he had one New Hampshire, two to one. He won South Carolina by double digits. No one was going to beat him in the primary. So what did your endorsement then do? Just solidified his standing, you thought? I don't know if it did anything. Um, I don't know that endorsements do anything. Well, some people thought that you were giving him one of the most high-profile endorsements to, at that point in the race. Well, I'm incredibly flattered, but I, uh, but again, I don't know whether that mean whether it meant anything. Um, but if it did, it did. Like I'm not trying to back away from it. I did it, and I did it because I didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president of the United States. Um, and you know, the most disappointing thing is that 
Um, Governor Romney would release private emails that, you know, he didn't, when he sent me that email, he didn't put over the top of it. And by the way, I may give it to a reporter someday in the future, um, you know, to uh, to let people know that I had sent it in the first place. It's 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 disappointing. You've expressed a lot of admiration for Senator Romney in the past. Does that change your view of him at all? No, I just think that, you know, people make mistakes and this was one of them. What are your Senator Romney's message. Now looking back at it, about oh, the message in the email. Yeah, I would respond exactly the same way. You know, he should have endorsed me, or he should, you know, look, he 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 said that he thought the world of both me and Marco Rubio. He should have endorsed one of us then, and tried to make a difference. And he could have made a difference in the primary here in New Hampshire, um, given that he was a neighboring state governor and and someone who actually has a home here in New Hampshire. He could have made a you know a, a real difference. He chose not to, and then the nominee turns out to be someone he doesn't like, and then he's blaming the people who are now trying to stop Hillary Clinton from being president. You know, I, I think um, if I had to reply today to that email, I would probably say, "Doctor, heal thyself." What is that a reference to? Then he should take care of his own you know his own infirmities. Now he wants to like lay some on me. He should just. Um, you know, look at himself and say, maybe I should have done something to make the situation different. You know, it's easy to throw stones at people who are in the process when you're out in the process. Um, if you want to change the process, get in it and change it yourself. Last question we do have to wrap up. If President Biden and former President Trump wind up being the nominees, which I know is probably not a mentality you're thinking about right now, but if definitely they are. Who would you vote for? Would you vote third party? Would you write someone in? Would you choose one of them? Look, these are all um, these are all hypothetical questions. I, I think the best way for me to answer it is to say that I said pretty clearly on the stage with my failure to raise my hand that if Donald Trump is a convicted felon, um, that I'm not voting for him. I can't support someone that way. And I've I've also said that I think that Joe Biden is mentally and physically uh, incapable of being an effective president. So that would leave me with a pretty lousy choice. Um, but I think that, that 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 my feeling is what 75% the last time I saw it in, in any polling of the American people said that they didn't want the choice to be Trump versus Biden. So I'm in here trying to make sure that's not the choice they have. And that's my mindset right now. The rest of it I'll deal with down the road. I know on the debate stage, the question was if former President Trump is a convicted felon. Is right. there any circumstance under which you could support former President Trump? I have asked, asked, and answered, asked and answered this question a million times. Sure you have. And I'm not doing it again today. You know, go back and refer to where I've spoken about this before. The fact is that I'm in it to beat Donald Trump. And that's what I intend to do um, over the course of this primary campaign. And I intend to be the nominee in Milwaukee um, uh, in, in July of next year. Governor Chris Christie, thank you for your time. Thank you to Taylor Haber and the whole debrief team, as well as Editor-in-Chief Kristen Chapman for making this episode happen. My name is Levi Port, and this has been The Debrief.